Oh, hello. Many Magic the Gathering players ask the question, how do I pick a modern deck? If we're interested in getting into modern, how do I go about picking that first modern deck? Well, I have with me here the one and only Alex Kessler of the Masters of Modern. Hey, to tell us, how do I pick a modern deck, Alex? There's, there's, it's too expensive. It's, it's too, too expensive. I, Whatever I, your answer I, is, it's <laughs> too expensive. Many Magic the Gathering, all Magic the Gathering players say it's too expensive. I, How do I pick a modern deck when it's too expensive? So there's a few ways to go about it, right? Yes. And generally, when people ask this question, there's kind of three different things to consider. One is your budget, right? Mm -hmm. uh, two is um, what do you want? What cards do you own already, right? Are you coming from standard? Are you a standard player that's rotating in the format? Are you a commander player that has a bunch of commander staples that some of are very much modern legal? Um, or three... Are you, is there a strategy you want to go for, right? Do you hate burn? If you don't want to play burn, then that's a deck that you probably shouldn't play. Or... That's also problematic because burn is in just about every format, uh, save perhaps commander, the best way to, on a budget, get into that format. Interesting enough, in modern, historically it wasn't because for a while it was that Naya burn deck. So right. you needed all the fetch lands and shock lands. Now there's that mono red aggro deck that's like just easy to bumps, jump into. Yeah, yeah pretty, okay. pretty, pretty, pretty fun. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about this. Okay. Let's talk about this uh uh let's say that i am someone who is either interested in in getting into modern for the first time or maybe i was someone who played modern back in the day mm -hmm. uh, uh perhaps pre-splinter twin ban and or 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 shortly thereafter and i've taken my hiatus i've come back i like the way modern looks now and i don't currently have a modern deck i want to know how to pick that modern deck let, what's the what's what, what's the first way to look at this? Well, I think I think the place to start, especially because you ended with like people that did play a modern maybe yeah. at one point, is what do you have? Right. The the cool thing, even if you look at modern history, is most of the shells that have existed in the past have some analogous deck now. Say you were a Birthing Pod player and Birthing Pod got banned and you were right. out. There's now the Heliod combo decks that are taking advantage of a lot of the same kind of Malira counter-based shells or Devoted Druid-based shells. Mm -hmm. And really, the individual combo pieces may have changed, but those are generally the cheapest parts of those decks, right? Like mm -hmm. getting, especially now that they've been reprinted, Devoted Druids aren't that expensive. Right. Getting Vizier of Remedies is really easy. Getting right. even Heliod, which is a you know modern mythic, is expensive, but it's not on the range of what can be expensive. It's not a hundred dollar Snapcaster Mage, right? Yes. So, so or even Splinter Twin, the shell of a blue red control deck that is either tempo faced or not is pretty much going to be playable and modern in some fashion forever. Be it either in Blue Moon decks or you know last year up until uh, Faithless Swooning being banned, you had Arclight Phoenix decks. So mm -hmm. there's always like a blue-red deck to kind of look at and maybe try and fashion. Right now, I'd probably recommend Grixis Death Shadow uh, mm. as the, like, tempo-based, value-engine, blue-red focused deck. Uh, but there's a whole library of different things you can do. So it really, you know, look at the cards you have and look at the play style you like. Mm. Um, and if you are an old modern player, then there's definitely, your your old shell, sh unless you sold out, should be able to translate to something of modern modern right. playability. Pun intended. <laughs> well, and that's also because uh, that your modern, your old modern cards are likely to have retained value. And that's not always going to be the case, especially if something gets banned out. I mean, I feel really bad for anyone that bought a playset of Hogax right before right. the ban. But for the most part, those cards retain value. That's actually something where for people who maybe are only used to playing standard uh, aren't as used to that idea that while well, prices will fluctuate and sometimes, wow, 
a $30 card might drop on down to a $10 card depending on shifts. That's still some revenue to do some trade fodder that you can uh, work into another viable deck. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at, like, yes, the cost of modern today. If I wanted to buy in from scratch, new from magic scratch, player, right. maybe I've never drafted before, or like I just, every time I draft, I sold all my cards back to the store to go um, go infinite and have to buy a whole modern deck from scratch. Right. The upfront cost of that is high, mm-hmm. but if you then compare that to a two-year cycle of playing standard where the metagame changes month to month, right. the, the buy-in of every deck I buy, every new set comes out, significantly affects the metagame. Right. And then at the very end of that period, 75% of my cards become worthless. Right. Um, and so, like, it's it's a little bit of an upfront cost versus a, you know, a, like a continuous burn of, of cash and funds. But right. like, in the long run, Standard becomes a much more expensive thing to be a metagame-focused player on versus Modern, where I've kind of had the same Jun shell since 2004. 14 right or maybe 15 when did modern masters come out so i could buy tarmogoyfs <laughs> uh and you know the affinity players until very recently kind of have always been able to play their deck merfolk players famously have had to make minimal changes over the last four years almost Parsh- none <laughs> almost no changes we almost had blue green merfolk and nothing happened yeah <laughs> that was the out. one big shakeup. was it was like maybe green will get us there but actually, uh, there are modern decks available for not a big buy-in. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I do agree with you on the premise that if you're going to continually have to be buying for standard, that that really does add up. So if you think you're playing Magic the Gathering for more than, say, just a year, and you're playing standard, and you're going to keep up with standard, that ends up being far more expensive than modern. But even if you're saying from absolute scratch, I'm going to buy into modern there are budget modern decks mm-hmm. available for quite frankly less than some of the biggest standard decks right now absolutely we'll talk budget in a second but let's take that standard player let's say i have been playing magic and let's say i, I maybe do have some standard decks are there any standard decks that can translate over into modern either now or maybe over the last couple of years because maybe there's somebody watching now who played standard Two years ago, one year ago, something like that, and standard rotated, and they and like many of us do, fell out of standard, and now that deck's sitting on their shelf. Is there any way to come over into uh, modern through standard? Yeah, so I mean, even if you look right now, we mentioned Heliod, right? Heliod is right. a standard-based staple. There's a Pioneer deck that even extends into modern. Right. Um, the Fires deck last week at MTG, uh, at Magic Fest Reno, there was a PTQ, modern PTQ, and one of the top eight decks was a deck based on Fires of it. Mm-hmm. Fires of Invention? Yes. Fires of Invention. So, you know, there, and a lot of the Planeswalkers you can take advantage of in that are from recent standard sets. I mean, one of the most played cards in modern for blue-white control decks right now is Three Mana Teferi. Right. And even... Like, if you were to take the top five Planeswalkers of all time in modern, yeah. four of them were printed within 2019. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so if you're a sicko who wants more Teferi, modern might just be for you. Uh, you also get to play with Stoneforge Mystic next to it. Right. <laughs> Finally. It's actually uh, pretty cool. <laughs> so, you know, even the 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 Bant Snow-based Cobblade deck was playing Ice Fang Codals and Spell Quellers instead of uh, Squadron Hawks, but it was still doing that, like, classic Cobblade, strapping on a sort of Feast and Famine that you find with Stoneforge Mystic and, like, keeping counter magic up as you apply pressure. So, like... It's so cool that there's a Snow-based deck right I, well, now. I yeah. mean, that's just so cool. 
maybe problematic, but we'll find out. I know right. Popper it was problematic. Yes. Or, or is. We banned yeah. it out of Popper. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see if that survives in modern. But um, the like the just the diversity of what you could do and, and the fact that so many standard cards are powerful. I think that's kind of a misconception mm-hmm. that people often have about older formats or standard in general, uh, is that there aren't new cards that are printed that are good enough to see play in modern. Mm-hmm. Um and that's just uh, been untrue. I mean, uh, we we did a whole episode where we went through every set in the last eight years, and we're just like, how many cards were playable out of this format eternally? I think Rivals of Ixalan lost. I think that was the one set sure. that like <laughs> had that's like one dull card. Surprise, right. <laughs> um, but even like Dragon's Maze, which is famously n- the worst set uh, in a long time, yeah, had um, the had tear, wear and tear. It had Idol on a Great Revel. It has Voice um, of Resurgence, Voice of Resurgence. Was there for a while. That's, is that still Voice of Resurgence still doing anything? It's, it's definitely fell, fallen down, yeah. partially just because the world of instant speed playing has fallen kind of back a little bit. Right. Um, it was very powerful in a world where Splinter Twin was around. Uh, uh, like there's a yes. few cards that have gotten worse because they were good answers against Splinter Twin. Right. Uh, Voice of Resurgence and uh, Ben uh, Bateman, my co-host. Uh, his favorite card or one of his favorite cards of all time uh spell skite has right. also just like because infect has lost some of its speed and right. because uh splinter twin has fallen by the wayside it like no longer was like this like oh i just people can't beat this card right um but uh but infects back i mean that was one of the card decks the top eight green back, white yeah. infect they got uh the new core that the the ant Instead of mom, mm-hmm. the taps to protect him from colors, uh, which was cool. And then, yeah, I think, I think, but back to kind of the conversation at hand, which is standard decks and translating that into modern. It really, you know, it depends what deck you were playing, but even Arclay Phoenix was the best deck in modern six yeah. months ago. Uh, and Hogak being banned, even if you invested into that Hogak deck, yes, mm-hmm. Hogak went away, but Dredge is still one of the top decks in the format, even without Faith the Sluting. Sure. Um, so there's, there's, most of the time, these modern decks are versatile enough that they can dodge around banning. Sometimes there's a card that gets banned out of it that kills it. KCI, uh, mm. which is Clank Clan Ironworks, which I'm glad is gone purely from the fact that I don't have to say that all at once ever right. again, <laughs> um, was a card. But that was banned partially due to the way it works with the rules is weird and isn't working the way we want it to. And, yeah. and its win percentage on top of that is problematic, less than... This is too strong for decks to beat, I guess. Right. Um, and so, but there is ways to translate your standard collection into modern. It right. kind of was built to do that. I mean, in some ways, they were saying Pioneer was introduced for a similar fashion, mm-hmm. where you're supposed to be able to take standard. Look, modern exists so that people have buying confidence in standard, right? Like right. That's, that's why they invented modern. Legacy was impossible to reprint cards for. So the, the barrier to entry due to the reserve list was never going to go away. Um, and Wizards realized that they needed a non-rotating format that so when people invest in standard cards, they know that some of them are always going to be worth something. Right. There's, there's there's a place for my Heliods or my, um, I'm trying to remember expensive standard staples right now, but uh, you know there's a place for the cards that you play with in standard that you invested in so when rotation happens, you're not totally wrecked. It's right. not like, oh, all these cards just go in the bin. Right. Um, and that's what Modern was created for. Pioneer is meant to kind of supplement that, uh, where that also lets some of those standard cards have a, a life beyond standard. 
Um, but modern has always been able to be one of the main features of how it functions and how yeah. that card economy works. And I, I think that uh, I don't want to get into a whole thing about Pioneer. Uh, I've done lots of Pioneer content <laughs> on my channel. I do think that ultimately, and I'm going to be talking more about this, uh, that modern is going to beat out Pioneer in the long run. But never minding that, even so, so there is ways and there are decks that where standard translates into modern. And of course, I always just say that you get aggressive uh, uh, with your trades, start up trading standard staples for modern staples, and then working your way from having played standard, even if your standard deck doesn't directly have a version in modern you can start just simply trading to other standard players for some modern staples that they might mm -hmm. have or for cards that other people who play modern might want and then just trying to get as much value out of that standard deck towards a modern deck as possible so that let's say you are shooting for average modern deck these days about five six seven hundred dollars i'd say yeah. you know like like put drop off jund at the end of the list and drop off mono red blitz at the beginning of the right. list you're talking about maybe the five to seven hundred dollar range but you know if you've got 300 bucks worth of standard cards that you can convert into modern then you're only talking about a, a couple hundred dollar more mm -hmm. investment on your part which for a deck that never rotates and only has to worry about a potential ban really isn't that bad what if i am on a budget and i want to just buy it from scratch though so what are some modern decks you might recommend people look at if they are on a budget and so let's say i say to you i don't have standard right now uh, I, I I literally I'm, I've come back. I know how to play Magic. I want to play Modern. I just do not have any card assets. I'm buying in from scratch. I want to do it on a budget. Mono Red. We know Mono Red. <laughs> besides Mono Red. Besides Mono Red. What am I looking at? So I think I think at that point there's resources out there, right? Yeah. MTG Goldfish is out there, right? And they have in the modern metagame section of their page, sure. a dex under $200. Yeah. Uh, and and Saffron Olive and Corbin Hausler on different platforms both regularly will do streams where they're like looking at, here's deck list that we think can perform at a budget. And some of that is looking at, you know, kind of uh, what, what you want to play, right? One of the things that's great about modern is the format is diverse enough that if there's a playstyle you want to play, you might not be able to top eight a GP with it, but you'll be able to have a great time at FNM playing it, and you'll be able to be somewhat competitive with that deck. Right. Um, and so really, it's hard to say what you, the person, would want to do. For instance, I know that I would just recommend play Merfolk to you. I, I like Merfolk has top eighted and won more GPs than any current legal deck in modern. Mm -hmm. uh, the one it's tied with is Affinity, who recently had a card banned out from it. So right now you're at top on the top. <laughs> so as as far as specific decks that I would recommend are concerned, uh, one that I would recommend is the Soul Hoarder, Hoarder Blinky decks. All right. um, I'm not too familiar with that one. What, what is that? So so basically the idea is you're taking advantage of just all the different ETBs you have available mm -hmm. in, in the game, being it uh, blinking back Blade Splicers to... Uh, just kind of controlling the board with uh, Flicker Wisps, and you have this engine out of Soul Herder, which lets you kind of blink things every turn in a way that uh, does gain you advantage and then provides also a threat that gets bigger and bigger as the game goes on. Um, that's kind of like when you go through the value thing that's always hovering near the top that I always lean towards. Uh, other other value decks that like you can probably pull off without having the expensive cards in it? Storm. I mean, Storm is there. Uh, Storm, Storm is actually putting up really good results, and first of all, the fully, uh, bl you know, upgraded Storm deck is really affordable. Uh, uh, I, the price is showing on the screen now. I don't have it offhand, but it's in the couple hundred dollar mm -hmm. range. And you can put 
budget builds of Storm together, like just to start, just going into your local game store to play at the weekly modern event, you can put some budget Storm lists together for a hundred bucks. Right, right. And, and that's like, the problem with Storm, and this is more for the, like, and it depends where your, your perspective player is coming into it, right? Where are they a top end, someone who's played a lot of Magic, but for some reason at this moment is out, mm -hmm. then Storm's great, because that also means they're probably returning, and returning players love Storm, because generally they were around in an era where Storm was great. Yeah. Um, and Storm is always a deck that you're going to have a chance of winning with. And that's the other thing with Modern that can be great, is, you know, I it, it's always funny when you, like, I've I've played in Grand Prix where I've metagamed, right. I've built a deck that's like, here's the top eights for the last three GPs, my deck has a great matchup against all of them, and then game one is against Goblin Bushwhacker decks that, like, I had, like, didn't test against and just get uh, uh, my uh, deck handed to me, and then the next game is against a deck that's playing Collected Company and eight copies of Blood Artist, right. um, where... Like, oh, I you cast this card and now I can't win because you can sack your board and do 10 damage to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, versus like, I was ready for Jund, I'm ready for Splinter Twin or Birthing Pot or whatever. And you you end up in a, a, a format where like really it can be very diverse and you can do well with random decks that are out there. Um, so rogue decks are a thing in modern. Yes. So people who feel like maybe even they like to brew their own decks or they like to play decks that are off the radar decks, they don't need to feel that modern is a format where you're either in one of three decks, one of four decks, or you're just out. Well, no, I mean, like some of the coolest stories about modern are like what Zach Elsick did with Lantern Control. Sure. Right? Like that deck was not a deck. All the cards were available. There was no new card that was printed into the format. Most of the cards were affordable. Uh, Zach, with the help of different Reddit communities or MTG Salvation forums, I believe, right. back in the day, um, were like working together to build this deck. He top 16s a GP on right. uh, one weekend. We like went through the list. It was this off the walls, insane deck. Like Lantern, for those who don't know, is a deck that like using terrible draft commons that mill your opponent one at a time artifacts and the card Lantern of Insight, which lets you see the top card of your opponent's library, prevents them from ever getting a card they want again. Because mm -hmm. you can be like, oh, you're getting a land next turn, that's fine. Or right. like, oh, you're getting the hate card you need to beat me, I'm going to mill that card. Right. And, but like looking at it on paper, it looks like a pile of draft kind of throwaways. And so we brought Zach Elsick on. He comes and I was like, there's no, this deck has no bad matchup. This is mm -hmm. the best deck in the format. Right. And we like, we're like, okay. <laughs> he then literally that weekend uh, wins a GP right. with the deck. And he now created Zach an entire type of deck right. that then plagued modern for quite some time. Correct. All, like multiple times was threatening the guy. Cards banned out of it, like was one of the best decks in the format for a year and no new card was printed. And this has happened time and again. Right. Death, uh, uh, Death Shadow decks, like, War a deck. It was about uh, using Gitaxian Probe to pay your life down and using cards that gave Death Shadow Double Strike to be able to kill them early and kind of like a weird, aggressive version of the deck. Mm -hmm. Gitaxian Probe is banned. Then they start putting Thought Seizes in there and they start putting like more control cards in there and it ends up the deck is actually the best deck in the format. No new card was printed. This was just the deck that existed, but because they didn't have, no one was trying that version of it yet, no one really tried it. And then the third big time this has happened is Amulet Titan. Mm -hmm. Pile of cards that were not worth anything. Like, uses Bounce Lands and uh, Primeval Titan, which at that point I think had just been a GP promo. So it was like at its cheapest it's ever been. It was like $12. Uses Amulet, uh, which is a card that like, 
I loved back in Zendikar Standard when I was trying to use uh, well, the rune, the ghost that lets you blink lands into play mm -hmm. to like play Halimar Depths and, <laughs> and ponder off of it, but like had never seen real competitive play. Like people would play it, it was a joke deck. And then uh, the modern Pro Tour happened and two players top aided with it. And right. it went from being the worst deck to a deck that needed a card banned out of it three months later. And there are decks, there are rogue decks out of modern right now, I promise you, that are that level of good. People just have not been creative enough to put the pieces together. As someone who's, I've always approached modern as uh, uh, an enthusiast, I don't want to say casual, but just as a format that really is kind of there for someone who I don't grind GPs. I'm not looking to top eight. I'm looking to have a deck that I can keep and learn how to play and enjoy. And I've always felt from that perspective that a lot of people approach modern as having kind of tunnel vision where they do think that it's just these top three decks that and that, that nothing else is viable. When in fact, a lot of the people piloting those decks, as you said, they're expecting Jund, they're expecting, well, up, up until recently, Affinity. They're expecting, you know, these, these classic decks, and you can come out of nowhere with a rogue deck or with a tinkered deck. Maybe you took an established deck and you made alterations to its strategy. You can do clever things in modern. It really does have room for brewing and engineering and homebrewing and things of that nature. I mean, you were talking about uh, Zach Elsick, and I, I know that one thing about him is he just does not want to play Magic Online. And he only plays with cards that he can own and have and go down to a game store and play. And that's why not only did he invent Lantern Control, but why Lantern Control was actually the budget build for a while. You could put Lantern Control together for one $200. And that's because he was just like, he's not going to drop two grand mm -hmm. on experimenting with a deck to, to, to win. And he was able to dive in there. And, and I really wish more people would approach the format that way uh, and can approach the format that way. And, and I think that's kind of the beauty of modern, right? The card pool is so large that there's all of these diamonds hidden in the rough out there. And right. you have the ability to kind of take your pet strategy and get good at it, right? Like that's that's the other thing is that because it's non-rotating, you can spend two years trying to get the perfect hardened scales deck or trying to get the perfect training grounds based deck, which like that deck doesn't exist yet, but it could. They keep printing cards that make training grounds better and better. Right. And like one day that card could just be the best deck. I mean, a good example is going back to Hogak. Benjvine has been a pet card of mine since it was the first right. competitive standard deck I ever played. And I've always had like a Hedron Crab based Benjvine deck in my pocket at all times being like, one day this will be good. And then Hogak's printed, then, and, and the right shell is printed. And oh, great, these cards are all now very powerful. And I know how to play with Benjvine. Like I, I, I'm already from a skill set perspective kind of above and beyond my opponents even because, oh, I've been practicing with this one deck forever. Right. There's a reason Jund decks top eight when every pro player you ask is Jund good says no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because Jund players have a foiled out Jund deck that they've had for 10 years. Right. That, that they like, oh, a new card, maybe they add it, but they like keep their deck together. They play the same deck every tournament and they get good at it. And like Jund is obviously the top end of expense in that level, but like there is a whole library of uh, eight racks and the mono red aggro decks and right. uh, merfolk and soul sisters and these decks that you know 
once in a while we'll have a chance. Soul Sisters is having a, a more of a comeback because of Heliod, because mm-hmm. there's now a combo on the top end. Right. Um, and historically, it's the only mono white deck to win a GP. Right. Um, in fact, I think still famously, mono black is the only mono color that has not won a GP. That's interesting. Because um, like Elves has won, Merfolk has won, Soul Sisters has won, and then like a library of mono red decks have won. Right. Uh, actually, I think the mono red deck that had won first though. Another budget deck that's weird in left field was Scred Red. Right. It wasn't Burn. It wasn't Goblins. It was this weird, no one was paying attention to Snow Mountains at the time. And the fact that Scred hitting Boros Reckoner is a lot of damage. Uh, and Koth is one of the most powerful cards ever printed, or Planeswalkers ever printed. It just is so pigeonholed in. You have to play exclusively Mountains. Otherwise, this card is bad. Right. <laughs> uh, that people weren't taking advantage of it. And then they added the new Chandra. At that time, the four, the four um, Torch, of Torch of Defiance that has a, four abilities that you know is basically the Jace, the Mind Sculptor of Red Planeswalkers, right. and top eight, you know, one a GP, right? And right. like that's that's kind of the beauty of modern, right? There's so many different things you can do that you don't have to come at it being like, I need to have the best deck. I have to pay for it right now. I'm going to look at top eights. And you don't even need to plan against those. You just have to get good at piloting your own deck. Is there a difference between, say, investing into staples versus investing into archetypes? And what what does that even mean? Or what do I need to know about that if I am buying into modern to a certain degree? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the more played a card is, the more expensive it is. Right. (laughs) So... For instance, fetch lands are the premier example of this, where right. the more fetch lands you own, the more decks you can play. Uh, another non-land based one would be um, Snapcaster Mage, right? right. Like a playset of Snapcaster Mage could set you anywhere from three hundred dollars to four hundred dollars, depending on what day of the week it is. Yes. Uh, but once you have four Snapcaster Mages, every blue deck under the sun is a little bit more available to you. Versus. The best example historically is Affinity. Uh, right now, Mox Opal is, it was banned, so it's a little bit different. But um, that deck, none of the cards, or most of the cards in Affinity weren't really translatable to other strategies. Mm-hmm. If I drop the $100 to $150 on Ravagers, depending on what year it is, uh, Affinity is the deck that those will belong in. Right. Uh, maybe someone's going to come up with an off-the-wall artifact sacrificing strategy that can take advantage of that feature of ravager um but that wasn't ever a metagame defendant and if that were to happen and be a tier one deck ravager's price goes up so there is like kind of a question you need to ask yourself in the long run do i want to have like if you want to get in the modern right now buy a niche deck buy a buy a uh an eight rack deck or Mm -hmm. something that Every really, single card. Rack. Well, I mean, you have to be a very specific person to want to play eight rack. <laughs> yes, I love uh, eight rack. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm just, I'm just surprised that's your answer too. If you want to get into modern, buy eight rack. What well, I think it's just inexpensive. <laughs> sure. Uh, and aside and, from the playset of lilies. Correct. Yes. Yeah. The Liliana. Yeah. So my actually my best legacy performance is playing pox, which is funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Um, or I guess the classic example is, you know, the mono red aggro decks. Is, right. is, is, is all of those cards belong in that deck. The ones that do translate to the other ones are generally more commons, like Lightning Bolt, mm-hmm. that you'll are in free and not actually, but to most extents, they give them away now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but those cards won't translate as well. Or do you want to make the decision to maybe invest in cards to build a collection to be able to play more in different decks? And the... Now, one thing I will say is, especially at your local game store or in the way 90% of the populace is going to play modern, 
you don't need fetch lands as much as people think you do? Yes. Uh, one of the, the classic things I always look at is look at, especially if it's a two-color deck, mm -hmm. literally, when you're on MTG Goldfish, say, and you're looking at prices, if you are looking at a two-color deck, uh, just take the land base off of that deck and see the cost, mm -hmm. and then say to yourself, I could build with shocks only a two-color let never mind all the fast lands and the, the fetch lands and all of that stuff. That is ultimate efficiency. But honestly, you know, six mountains, six islands, and 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 four uh, uh, shock lands or what have you, and uh, it's not the best. And there might be some games where that bites you in the rear, but you have just cut 80% of the price tag right. off of that deck and you can work your way towards, I'm going to get a fetch land, a fast land, what have you over the years, over the months. And meanwhile, you're still showing up. You're still playing. You work on up trading. You work on finding someone who, yeah, I've got the, the, the Kaladash red, blue, uh, fast land, and I will trade it for a whole bunch of standard cards. That's a great trade get it, stick it in your deck. Now I got one. I did that early days uh, when I was into Merfolk. Uh, it sounds crazy, but one of the most expensive components of Merfolk early days uh, uh, were Mutavaults before they saw the reprint. Uh, it was Mutavaults and Aether Vials. And I literally built Merfolk on pennies by building it with zero Aether Vials and zero Mutavaults. And then when the Mutavaults got reprinted in standard of all places, I aggressively went after them. I got them for pennies as a result because not everybody uh, uh, was doing mono black then. And so I, I got those Mutavaults and my deck got powered up, but I had been playing with Merfolk leading up until then. I didn't have to wait. And then Aether Vials got reprinted in a couple of the Modern Masters. I was able to go mm -hmm. after them there. And I did it bit by bit. And it doesn't have to be an all-at-once sort of strategy. You can go for... 90% of a modern deck and then leave the other 10% to, to be goals. Right, and, and even if you look at, like, my, my preferred play style in pretty much any format I end up in is going to be a blue-white control deck. And you can get away with four um, hollowed fountains, mm -hmm. four uh, glacial fortresses, uh, four Field of Ruins. Like, currently they're playing four Field of Ruins, which is an uncommon that was just reprinted. <laughs> um, and a bunch of basics... And then even, like, if you want to look like, if you can't afford Stoneforge Mystic, play Wall of Omens. Right. If you can't, uh, or Thalia, right? Or, you know, there's there's all these alternative cards. Like, you, if someone were to come out with me and they were playing four Mana Leak, not expensive, and their top end was the original uh, Theros Elsbeth, right. um, the six Mana one, that's an insane card. If you've ever gone to the point where you can cast that Elsbeth, you win. <laughs> right, right. And none of that is expensive. I just made a deck for you that is going to cost you less than $200, and it's not going to be a ridiculous... It's, you, I, I couldn't laugh at you for playing that against Right. Um, you're missing, you know, some of the pieces, but you get Spell Queller. You get the new Teferi. You get even 5-minute Teferi, which has gone down in price, where me and Ben literally spent two years, like, surprised on that this was a better card than Jace the Mind Sculptor. <laughs> and currently, I think it's less than $10. Mana base, yes, you can do fetches. You can do, like, four... Hollowed Fountains, or not Hollowed Fountains, four Flooded Strands and four Celestial Colonnades and, like, go in on that. But you don't need it. You can even play, like, Fairy Conclave if you really want a man land. If you want to do more of a Planeswalker Tribal, there's the new 
um, colorless land that becomes free if you have four planeswalkers in play to animate from War of the Spark. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like so many different options out there that budget is one of the cool things it does is it lets you find cool cards. It's how you know these different deck builders and magic history have come up with cool strategies. Right. One thing to also bring up uh, a lo- about the mana base conversation is it is one of the best things about the snow mana base for Modern Horizons, right? Like with just four arcane la- astrolab. I said that correctly, right? Astrolabe. Astrolabe. With four Arcane Astrolabe, uh, you can make any color combination work with right. mostly basics. <laughs> right. Um, so that's definitely le- left down kind of the need for um, the sn- like the the fetch-based mana base and allows people to now play four-color decks with much less expensive mana bases behind them. Yeah, I cannot encourage viewers enough to go look at modern decks and cut off the mana base and just honestly look at their cost scroll down and just see oh my goodness there are all these dollar cards and and then all the money is in the mana base or and and say okay let's shoot for a budget mana base and then a full-on modern deck and then work from there it's just one of the best overall strategies i I don't think there's a two-color mana base that needs fetch lands Right, modern. Unless, unless uh, the only one I can think of are ones that are taking advantage of the delve mechanic. <laughs> and you know what? If the worst thing that happens to you is you sit down to a game where you only have blue mana open and you need red for a lightning bolt and you end up losing, and that's what saved you $500, then that's what saved you I'll $500. Yeah. You yeah. know, at least you still got to play some magic and, and it doesn't come up every single time. How much do I have to be worried about things like bands hitting my deck. Uh, how much do I have to worry about bands that don't hit my deck, but that change the meta in such a way that my deck is no longer going to be uh, as viable as it was? That's one thing that can definitely be off-putting is the idea of, okay, I go ahead, I trade all my standard cards out, I put in a couple hundred dollars, or maybe I am going to invest in a larger deck. Whatever my way of getting there is, is I get my modern deck, and then a month later, is it going to get banned? And out even a year later is it going to get banned out or the meta going to shift how how reasonable is that fear i mean i'm not gonna lie to the audience i mean like i as mong with some other consistent modern players has that two pages of my trade binder that has four birthing pods four splinter twins right uh four death right shamans um i, I kind of have th- two different answers to that problem okay uh the first one is if you look at most of the cards that have been banned out of modern and we kind of mentioned this earlier, uh, if you look at most of the cards that have been banned out of Modern, uh, they the decks don't die, right? It's it's blue-red blue, blue red Splinter Twin became Blue Moon. Right. Or, uh, uh, Birthing Pod became Collected Company literally within a month. Right. <laughs> um, so the decks that were powerful at those moments, those cards are still very good. Often it's not, decks are more than, than a single piece that they're based off of. Even Storm has famously had more cards banned out from under it than maybe any other mechanic right <laughs> in history um and you were just talking in this episode how great storm is doing well it's a great budget deck. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I don't know i'm not saying storm is doing great but i'm saying that somebody with uh, uh 80 in their pocket can build a budget storm deck that actually will win and then they can upgrade it for another couple hundred bucks into a full-on storm deck that will win i don't know great win i don't know that you're going to take down a gp but i think in terms of there's a modern event every tuesday at my local game store we get you know 16 plus players in there i want to go in and play and i don't have jund money Mm -hmm. uh 
Storm is a really good budget option. And absolutely. I, I guess when I was saying it's yeah. good, I was meaning it's it's the deck isn't dead. It's a, yeah, it's no, a viable it's not, not option. Not dead at all. Um, the, the other space, the other answer is kind of most of the time, these bans are telegraphed. Especially now, there was an era of modern where they would ban cards right before Magic Pro Tours that were mm-hmm. featuring modern as the main format out of a diversity kind of explanation where that's where Splinter Twin was famously banned, right? And that's kind of the controversy around that card being on the ban list. Uh, there's an argument that that's why Birthing Pub was originally banned, where they, Birthing Pub was the best deck, then all right. the Delve spells were printed, then there was Delve Fall, <laughs> um, and but even in that moment, Birthing Pub was still a top three deck of the format, and they knew that if they banned Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time, but left Pod, Pod would just be the best deck at the tournament. So they banned all three to make sure that right. the Pro Tour is as diverse as possible. That banning philosophy, ha- they've gone on the record and said they're no longer focusing on. Good. And so now it's more looking at what cards seem to be more problematic Um and if anything, we're in the banning era of them looking at real engine cards and realizing, you know what, Faithless Looting is problematic. There's mm-hmm. too many cards on this ban list that are banned because we don't want to ban Faithless Looting. Uh, uh, Mox Opal is a similar and maybe a better prominent example where it's like we've banned four cards on this ban list, if not more, if you include the the artifact lands because we know Mox Opal exists. Maybe we just get rid of Mox Opal and we no longer have to ban these other cards. But because generally you can kind of see, oh, Oko's a problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Hogak is a problem. Oh, the Eldrazi are a problem. You can avoid or start trading out of those decks in those moments when they're at their peak. So also your card should be worth, unless it's the week before the ban announcement, your card should be worth more than they normally would be. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is you're generally not going to have a deck banned out from you if you're playing the best, if you're not playing the best deck of the format. Right. right. Like there's a, often the deck that gets banned is like, problematic and like the examples where it wasn't that that i can think of are like eggs but eggs was banned not due to it being the best deck in the format right it was banned because tournaments broke right like famously brian kibler f6 right uh, in his winning in for a gp because his opponent was going to take two 20 minute turns during turns after every other person in the tournament was no longer playing and he could leave for five minutes to go right. to the bathroom and the judge just had to watch the game so in an answer to like if i'm afraid of a card being banned even the decks i just named though a top eight deck this last weekend was eldrazi right Sean, like you they banned i Ugin, but eldrazi has been a tier 1.5 to tier one to tier two deck since oath of the gate watch right um so like i i do question people are always like oh my deck was bad it's bad and almost every single time it comes back amulet titan is another amulet titan is another example right like that famously had a card banned out from it currently right. the best deck in the format <laughs> right, right right um and it goes through phases and then sometimes your deck your other question was what happens when my the metagame kind of moves past my deck right we're in a collectible card game. That's going to happen any format you're in to some extent. But even, you know, Affinity is an example of that, right? Like, when Affinity got Mox Opal banned recently, one of my statements was, that deck wasn't good anyway. <laughs> but it adopted hardened scales. It was playing hardened scale. The the It was moving its shell towards that deck where it was more about taking advantage of doubling counters. And that deck was more viable. And then it moved towards Urza, where Urza is more of the main main attack engine and the artifact deck of the format. So I, I would even say, like, there are very few deck archetypes that if a card is banned out from them, if they were that good, are dead. 
in the water. And the, the main examples are ones where they had to kill it for other reasons, like eggs, where right. it's like, we can't let this deck work. No, no, no. And that was, it was just not fun to play against. Yeah, it's unfun to play against. And it breaks the way GPs are ran because it can have 20 minute turns and you get five of them at the end of your round guaranteed, or you get th- at least three of them, or at least two, if not three of them. And so they have to go for it every one of those three turns, which could be 60 minutes post the round. <laughs> what are some other resources besides your podcast that uh, people could look to when deciding, you know, which deck to pick and, and how best to understand the current climate of modern? Uh, uh, what what are some of your go-tos? I definitely I definitely live and breathe MTG Goldfish's course, modern metagame yeah. page. The, the fact that they have, like, the top 10 spells that are being played the top 10 creatures top 10 lands they also have a budget section separated from the other section yeah i i think seth does not get enough credit for those budget decks because people don't realize just how much testing he really does put into them yeah there, there are some real diamonds in the rough down there that kind of get brushed off as like yeah, yeah, yeah you know and then mtg top eight actually is a website that has kind of a consistent running of the top eight lists from different tournaments Mm -hmm. and they're also a really good resource just to get an idea of what top eight right like you don't need to play one of those decks i i I often say that that's not what you need to do but knowing what they are is helpful you can see cards that are good like colgan's command is not an expensive card really but can be played in strategies and is it a very powerful card and Mm -hmm. if you can take advantage of it all the power to you um and then, so yeah, those are definitely like maybe the two main places our podcast uses when we deal with content. We also use Decked, the app, to like the brew. Uh, any app that lets me brew when I'm on an airplane, I travel so much that non-internet-based deck building software is extremely helpful in my life. Right. Um, but then, um, yeah, I mean, that, I think those are probably the main resources. Fantastic. If people want to find you and your podcast, where are you and what do you do? Uh, I am on pretty much every platform at Kess Wiley. Uh, you can, we do a Masters of Modern podcast where we talk about modern every week. Often we do t- look at it from more of a lens of like a brewer's paradise mm-hmm. and what cool things you can do. Uh, we have a philosophy of like, uh, Never say no to a card and see, can I use this card? Yeah. It makes our review episodes like way longer than we need them to be because of that. But um, we also, I do Twitch streaming. So uh, uh, twitch.tv slash Kesko. Um, and we, uh, Twitter is like the other main place to find us. I'm oh, at Kesko. All, all that's down here. There, right. Um, and then uh, the other thing is we do on our YouTube channel. So definitely check that out. We do not only do the podcast once a week, we do hot takes once a week. Uh, we're doing, Ben is doing 10 minutes of magic every day or not every day, but multiple times a week where we're like, whatever cool idea we have with, we're also going to start kind of coming out with more commander content um, in the future. I also have a toy company. Uh, you can, if you go to a Target or Walmart, and you see really shiny hula hoops, I made those. Uh, I'm the largest manufacturer of hula hoops in the world. Uh, we call it the ice hoop. And then, uh, or dropped up balls, these really cool feeling spiky balls that are out there. So definitely right. check those out too. Very cool. While I have you here, uh, I do want to shift gears really quickly to Pioneer. Do you believe, honestly, honestly, do you believe there is any reason to play Pioneer over Modern? Sure. I mean, you know, if your local game store is running Pioneer tournaments, not modern tournaments, like the reason I don't play Legacy is because my stores don't run it, not because I don't want to play Legacy. And there's different deck strategies. If you like a deck in Pioneer that isn't viable in modern or vice versa, then play the format you want to play. Now, imagine tomorrow they unban all fetch lands from Pioneer. Is there any reason if fetch lands are legal in Pioneer to play Pioneer over modern? No. 
Didn't I send you back in time to the middle of a dangerous and very lethal explosion? <laughs> yep, burnt my hair clean off. But no matter, I looked pretty good bald. Also, I bought up every copy of Fetchlands that I could get my hands on while I was back in the past. I'm gonna be rich as long as Wizards of the Coast never reprints them in a meaningful way. You'll be fine.